We're back after our sudden disappearance yesterday. Sorry for that. I gave warning and sure enough it happened. <laughs> but today we're hopeful that we'll have a full session. <clears throat> oh Magana Timadandasya. Gananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shigurave Nama Shi Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupa Kadamahyam Dadati Sva Padantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shi Yuttaparakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavangscha, Shri Rupam Sagradatam, Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Tang Sajivam, Tana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shri Radha Krishna Padan, Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitangscha. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swamin Itinahamine Namaste Sadasvate Devi Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Mancha kalpatarubhyascha, kripa sindhubhya evacha, patitanam pabhanebhyo, vaishnavibhyo namo namah. He Krishna karuna sindhu, dinabando jagatpate, gopesha gopika kanta, Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanshana Gorangi Radhe Brindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Gauravaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chavit Narottamam 
Deving Sarasatin Vyasam Tato Jayamudirayet Nashta Prayeshvabhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttamashloke Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki Srimat Bhagavatam Puranam Amalam Yat Vaishnavanam Priyam Yasmin Paramahangsyam Ekam Amalam Gyanam Param Giyate Tatra Gyan Viraga Bhakti Sahitam Naishkarmyama Vishkritam Tatshin Van Supatan Vicharana Paro Bhaktya Vimutshen Nara Srimad Bhagavatam is the spotless Purana. It is most dear to the Vaishnavas because it describes the pure and supreme knowledge of the Paramahamsas. This Bhagavatam reveals the means for becoming free from all material work together with the processes of transcendental knowledge, renunciation, and devotion. Anyone who seriously tries to understand Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam, who properly hears and chants it with devotion, becomes completely liberated. So I know you are all seriously trying to understand Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam, as I am also. And... Uh, we have the good fortune of being together under the auspices of Mayapur Institute for Higher Education. As you may know, uh, the original scheme, which is still going on in Vrindavan, is the Vrindavan Institute of Higher Education. And this was an effort originally by especially Burijan Prabhu, and I believe His Holiness Dhanadhar Swami was also involved. <clears throat> and some years later, I was discussing with different devotees, couldn't we maybe also get something like this going in Mayapur? And we were talking about what would be involved, and we were rather early on, I would say, talking about, well, we need facility. We need, we need a building. We need this. We need that. So, and then I was talking with Purijan Prabhu about it, and he said, you know, if you start that way, thinking first we need this and first we need that, then it's never going to happen. Because um, all you really need is the desire, uh, one person having the desire to teach and one or two other persons having the desire to learn. <laughs> and then you'll work out all the details from there. And I remember Burijan Prabhu also told me that mm, Srila Prabhupada advised him in this way. He said to Burijan, learn something and teach it to others. 
That's like a mantra. Learn something and teach it to others. So I think it's important for us all as we pursue Shastric knowledge. Um, in a way, we're doing two things at once. We're trying to receive the mercy uh, of Shastra through the Acharyas. And simultaneously, we're thinking, how can I share this? How can I uh, give this to others? Learn something and teach it to others. So uh, the full picture is, a, it becomes a, a complete process in that way. Okay, we are continuing with our discussion of Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 29 through 33 this week. And we had a sudden and quite abrupt end um, early on in our discussion yesterday. My apologies for that, but uh, I, I don't feel that uh, I could have done something about it. I tried. I tried many times to come back online. It just, uh, I think the cause, uh, the, I mean, the ultimate cause is Krishna. But I think the immediate cause was we had this storm, and then uh, the storm was over. We thought everything's okay. But then uh, the electricity went out, and then the internet and that's not the first time it's happened like that. But today we have a very nice, peaceful day, and we even have the sun shining. Even here in the middle of winter in Poland. So we have good reason to hope that we can have a full session. Last time, uh, when we were suddenly interrupted, we were talking about uh, the commentarial tradition, and I was mentioning five different sorts of activity that are done in commentaries. Uh, as explained in this book, with, book uh, by Gary Tubb and... Uh, what is it, Emery Bose? And uh, I believe you're given access to this book in digital form. Um, some, some of you, at least one of you, is very expert at finding things on the internet. <laughs> uh, so for those of you uh, who are inclined, uh, this is something you can... Mm, give some attention to. I believe we were just talking about the third of these um, commentarial activities, namely Vigraha, and uh, the next one is called Vakyayojana, uh, which is defined here as construing the sentences indicating how the words fit together syntactically. Um, and so we may want to say that all of these first four 
activities are kind of basic uh, getting clarity on what uh, the Sanskrit is saying. Can I, there we go. Mm -hmm. Oops, what happened? Mm -mm. No, that's right. Four. Okay. Um, yeah, the fifth uh, item. How come this doesn't have the technical term? I have to get my notes up just one second here. Dun, dun, dun. There we are. Okay. Um, Fifteen. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. Yes. Vigraha then vakya yojana, construing the senses. And the fifth and the final principle is called Akshepa Samadhana, um, which is translated here as the answering of objections. Hmm. So we may want to say this is the... Whoops. Uh, this is the essential, after we get all the grammar and the technicalities of the Sanskrit sort of clarified, then if there's additional discussion, it can be understood in terms of refuting some doubt. Um, and the doubt might not be explicitly expressed, and then again, it may. Um, very often it will be expressed and then refuted. So uh, this kind of points to the classical, well, at least in Vedanta uh, practice, that uh, what is it? There's vishaya, then there's sangshaya, and there's another term, and then there can be different stages, but finally it comes to siddhanta, so Vishaya is presenting the topic. What's what's what are we talking about? What's going on? Samshaya is expressing a doubt. Yeah, Samshaya, and then there's Purvapaksha. Purvapaksha is um, is the opposing statement, and Purva just means preliminary. So it, it's a preliminary incomplete or or wrong conclusion uh, which is then um, which gives a, a springboard if you like uh, for the commentator to make the argument for the conclusion the Siddhanta so an interesting exercise can be to take any purport of Srila Prabhupada's books 
and see if and how uh, this structure is, is present in the purport, either explicit or implicit. Um, yeah, so that's what Sanskrit commentary is doing very generally. And then uh, something else we can remind ourselves of, uh, which we all know very well, and that is the Srimad Bhagavatam is identified as the natural commentary on Vedanta Sutra, also known as Brahma Sutra. Um, this is recognized by all of the Gaudiya Vaishnava Acharyas. Srila Jiva Goswami in his Tattva Sandarbha is mainly making this point <laughs> uh, in the entire Tattva Sandarbha. He's uh, going through a step-by-step -step analysis of possible sources of knowledge, and he's eliminating them one after another um, till he comes to the Vedanta Sutra. And then he says, oh, but it's hard to understand the Vedanta Sutra. Why? Because it's sutras. And sutras seem to be intentionally, they almost seem intentionally difficult to understand. They're so short. They're just code, codes. They're like codes. If you know the code, you know the meaning. Uh, it has led uh, many scholars to conclude that sutra literature, whether it's Vedanta Sutra or the Yoga Sutras or Jaimini, uh, Mimamsa Sutras, uh, the Nyaya Sutras, Jaimini, Nyaya, who's who, uh, then all of these sutras are so short, most of them, they seem to function like mnemonic devices. Mnemesis means memory. Mnemonic device is a device to help the memory. And so the idea is you have your teacher, your guru, who is teaching you, let's say, Vedanta Sutra, teaching you Vedanta, and there's just so much, so much to, to remember. It's too much. It's too complicated. Okay, here, take these sutras. Vedanta Sutra is only 550 sutras. <laughs> uh, memorize them, and then you will, from the discussions about them, you'll know what they mean from the discussions from your guru, you'll understand what they mean. And then, of course, uh, so many commentaries are written. Did you know that the commentary on Vedanta Sutra by Sripad Ramanuja Acharya, the very first sutra, what is it? Atato Brahma Jignasa. Atato Brahma Jignasa. Uh, 
In English translation, I can say, the commentary of Ramanuja on that first sutra is around 100 printed pages. He has a lot to say about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so then Acharyas write commentaries and different Acharyas in different Sampradayas. And we all know the, the history that uh, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas were challenged. Where is your commentary on the Vedanta Sutra? Oh, we have a ready-made commentary. It's called Srimad Bhagavatam. No, 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 that doesn't count. Uh, we need a regular commentary. A commentary where you have a sutra and then a commentary, and a sutra and a commentary, and a sutra and a commentary. The Bhagavatam doesn't do that. There have been some attempts. Uh, there are available some some works uh, where devotees have identified which sutras are being commented by which verses of the Bhagavatam. Um, I, I don't know how successful those efforts are, but uh, they are there. In any case, for the, uh, for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Bhagavatam is the perfect natural commentary on Vedanta Sutra, which means it's commentary on Vedanta, um, which means it's commentary on the Upanishads, which are commentary on the Vedic Samhitas. So you get stacked up one after another, commentary on, after commentary. Okay, now we have the Bhagavatam. So we don't need any more commentaries, right? Wrong. We still need commentaries. <laughs> we need commentaries on the Bhagavatam. This is, in any case, uh, the conviction of the Acharyas. And um, the published Sanskrit Bhagavatam with commentaries which Śrīla Prabhupāda used for significant, not all, but a significant amount of his translation work, uh, was a multi-volume set. It's all in Sanskrit, Devanagari. It was published in Amnabad in, I think, the early 1960s. Prabhupāda used to travel with I don't know, maybe two or three of these very big, thick, heavy volumes uh, in his suitcase. <laughs> uh, you can see some of those volumes in Prabhupada's room in the Lotus Building, upstairs in Prabhupada's room in the glass case uh, behind Prabhupada, the Murti. You'll see these sort of dark green, or maybe no longer so dark, um, books. Those are the ones Prabhupada was reading from. So, point is, altogether, um, someone has counted, altogether there are 25 commentaries in that publication. 
It's been mentioned by one scholar uh, in a footnote, I believe, in his English translation of the Bhagavatam, that there are some 80, 80 or 81 or 82, I forget, Sanskrit commentaries to the Bhagavatam. But most of these you don't find in most of the cantos. They start appearing, most of them, in the 10th canto. Uh, and then you come to the Rasa Panchadhyaya, and that's where everyone shows up. <laughs> everyone wants to elaborate something about Rasa Panchadhyaya. Mm. Okay, and um, that's all just by way of putting us in a frame of uh, thinking about commentaries to a few selected verses that we want to look at uh, in, in the Rasa Panchadhyaya. And as I said yesterday, we certainly want to discuss uh, the four verses you have for memorization. And uh, I think we'll mainly be looking at, we have our BBT translation and commentary, which is commentary based uh, very much on, especially Vishwanath Chagavari Thakur, uh, and we also have translations of complete of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, of uh, Sripad Sanatan Goswami, and um, we'll, I think, focus mainly on them. Now, as we start finally with chapter 29. I feel we really should look at the very first verse, uh, which is setting the scene, Sri Badarayanir Uvacha. Bhagavan Apitaratri Sharadot Pulamalikaha Viksha Rantung Manas Chakre Yogamayam Upashita. Sri Badarayani said, Sri Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, full in all opulences. Yet upon seeing those autumn nights scented with blossoming jasmine flowers, he turned his mind toward loving affairs. To fulfill his purposes, he employed his internal potency. So, um, hmm. yeah, the first word is Bhagavan. So we're reminded from step one that we're dealing with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And it's interesting that it's Bhagavan Api. Although he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Uh, this special atmosphere that's described, 
Sarvata Ratri Sharadot Pulamalika. Viksha, seeing this uh, situation, uh, this beautiful situation, he <clears throat> turns his mind, Manas Chakra, Rantum, to enjoyment. Mm. And for this purpose, Yoga Mayam Upashritaha. Okay, now. One thing I wanted to do, actually, on this verse, um, is call attention to another book. There's um, a devotee now teaching in a university near Chicago has written this book. Uh, it was his doctoral thesis in Oxford. Maya in the Bhagavata Purana, Human Suffering and Divine Play. It's been um, published by Oxford University Press. And what he's doing in this book is... He's focusing very carefully on how the word maya is used in the Bhagavatam. And one section of his book uh, is, what is it, 60 or 80 pages. He catalogs many, um, not all, because it's used, what does he say, something more than 600 times, I believe. But he, he catalogs many of the uses of the term, just to give you some idea. Uh, he just, he lists them uh, with a translation and then gives a short indication of how the word is used in a particular verse. Um, <clears throat> and the subtitle of the book is Human Suffering and Divine Play. Uh, and so he's, he's uh, addressing a major topic in theology since hundreds of years, uh, and that is the question, how is it that there is suffering and evil in the world if there is God and if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and so on. So he is addressing that from the perspective of the Bhagavatam. Um, to highlight um, how the Lord is, is relating with the world and how the Lord is relating beyond the world. <clears throat> um, so let's see here. I want to show one thing he has shown. Um, yeah, I'm going to share the screen here. I can. Okay. 
And let's take this one. Okay, can you see this uh, diagram? Yes, Maharaj. Okay. So this was uh, originally presented or uh, sketched out by Garuda Prabhu in his book on the Rasa Panchanyaya uh, to show the relationship of Yoga Maya and Yogeshvara, Krishna, and the yogi, which he's identifying as a gopi, or collectively all the gopis are yogis. And the result of what Yoga Maya is doing, because Yoga Maya is the power of yoga, the result is Rasalila. That is the the whole the event of the Rasalila is yoga. Hmm. That's the point he's making. Um, so And then he discusses in quite some detail how this works. And uh, I've made some, some notes, so I'll go back to that. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Yeah, so we might ask, <clears throat> excuse me, I should get some water here. Because it says yoga mayam upasrita. <clears throat> Which is translated here as the Lord resorts to or employs his internal potency. Um, but there's a sense of also kind of taking shelter of his internal potency. In any case, the question can be, um, so how does, how specifically does yoga maya work in the ras, rasa lila? Um, the term yoga maya, <coughs> excuse me, throughout these five chapters only comes once in the very beginning. Uh, the word maya comes a couple of times later, uh, used in a different sense. But we only have this one kind of announcement that yoga maya is going to be involved. And we may want to say that yoga maya goes immediately into the background uh, of this drama. She's working from behind the curtain uh, of this uh, drama. So what is Yoga Maya doing? Well, uh, she's arranging to draw Krishna and the gopis together for the performance of yoga. That's one way of seeing it. They are performing 
yoga. Uh, what does yoga mean? Yoga means linking, coming together. We practice bhakti yoga uh, because we want to connect, to link uh, with the Lord, with the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Person. How is that done in the case of uh, Krishna and the gopis? Uh, it is done with the help in this pastime, with the help of yoga maya. Now, someone could object at this point and say, wait, wait, what's the need for any, any outside agent uh, to, to make this connection between the gopis and Krishna. Uh, if the gopis are, in fact, the internal potency, the antaranga shakti, specifically the ladini shakti of the Lord, then they're, they're right where they need to be and they are already connected. Yes, yes, but then again, what is the situation we see in chapter 29? The gopis are married to other men. Um, they are in their houses. They're not with Krishna. And most of the time they're not with Krishna. In, in Vrindavan Leela and Raj Leela, most of the time the gopis are viewing Krishna from a distance. They have to hide their love uh, for Krishna. They have to be very careful not to reveal uh, their, their feelings for Krishna and so on. So what's happening here is Yoga Maya is making an arrangement by which um, they can come and actually meet with Krishna and actually um yeah play with krishna and that becomes so even if they are already connected in terms of tattva and in terms of their feelings there's still something more to be done I, I, this is the sense there's something more has to happen and that's for that purpose ye, um krishna draws on his specialist in such arrangements, and that is yoga maya. Now, it's also interesting, um, or related to this, and um, we heard some days ago how there's been preparation for the gopis to meet Krishna, in the course of the early chapters of the Bhagavatam. One specific preparation is in the beginning of chapter 22 that the gopis are worshipping Katyayani. Why are they worshipping Katyayani? Because they want her blessings to, um, to be with Krishna, to to be wedded to Krishna, perhaps. Um, and who is Katyayani? 
Katyayani is none other than Yoga Maya. So they've been engaged in this ritual for an entire month. And they've certainly pleased Yoga Maya in this way. And so when Krishna calls on Yoga Maya for her assistance, she is ready to help. Another way that Yoga Maya uh, functions in this pastime, through her agency, she allows Krishna and the gopis to, in effect, lose themselves in love. They can completely forget about everything except their love. So Krishna can completely forget about being Bhagavan. So Bhagavan Api, although he is Bhagavan, now he's putting aside that identity uh, in order to be with those who are the best of uh, lovers. So uh, Yoga Maya, one of the ways she functions is by allowing forgetfulness of Krishna's identity as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Um, now this is an odd an odd thing about the Rasapanchadhyaya, I would say, and that is that there are several times when we, the readers, are reminded, and indeed the gopis are reminded, um, of Krishna's identity as the Lord. But here is a, a very amazing explanation from Vishwanath Chakavarti Thakur <clears throat> on this point. He says, whenever the gopis bhava, whenever the mood of the gopis is disturbed, that's when their remembrance of Krishna's majesty is awakened. So they're sort of going on being absorbed in loving Krishna as this um, disarmingly charming and beautiful young cowherd boy. But then something happens which disturbs that bhava. For example, Krishna leaving, disappearing from the rasa dance. That's a disturbance. And at such time, they remember, oh, he is actually the Lord. They're also disturbed prior to that initial rasa dance because Krishna initially want, uh, seems to want to send them back home. So they're disturbed. And in that disturbance, they're also uh, making arguments why uh, the Lord should allow them to remain with him. Um, and then it's mentioned uh, specific prayers in 
Chapter 31, uh, they are referring to him as the Lord. So verses 4 and 5 and 7 and 9 in particular. Uh, the, the gopis are remembering that Krishna is the Lord. And now it gets even more interesting. So stay with me. <laughs> Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that this is also true of Krishna. When Krishna's bhava is not disturbed, then he is very happily being a cowherd boy in Vrindavan. But when it's disturbed, when there's some threat, when the demons come, then he's Bhagavan. Then he has to remember, oh, I'm actually the all-powerful Lord. I can swallow forest fires. I can subdue multi-headed snakes. Uh, and I can lift mountains. And there's some discussion about, you know, when Krishna is forgetting that he is God, is he really forgetting? And this is where Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur um, resorts to the idea of achintya shakti, that the Lord's achintya shakti enables him to simultaneously be the omniscient Lord and simultaneously to be self-forgetting. Which kind of disqualifies all of us. I think if anyone, if any of you or your friends are thinking of being God, uh, you know, <laughs> This might be a test. Can you simultaneously completely forget that you're God and simultaneously be omniscient? See how you do in that test. See how your friends do. Um, another function of yoga maya is explained. Uh, it allows, she allows Krishna to expand into unlimited forms in order to get, dance with the gopis, because it's all about yoga. They all want to connect with Krishna. And so he's facilitating that, uh, intensifying their loving exchange by having himself with each of the gopis individually, as if he is only with each, each of them. Another function of yoga maya is mentioned as uh, she serves to bewilder the husbands of the gopis uh, so that they remain more or less clueless what is going on. Okay, one more interesting point I've noted is we have in verse number one, yoga mayam upashritaha. 
the Lord is mm, resorting to or even taking shelter of yoga maya. Uh, now, backtrack to First Canto, chapter 7, verse 4. Does anyone remember what is happening in those first verses of chapter 7? Yes. Vyasadeva is uh, meditating after having heard the instructions from Narada. Yes. And under Samyak Prasha, he was uh, seeing the anomalies and uh, he was able to see Maya also as a shadow. Yes. And the specific point um, in this context is, it says, Bhakti yogena manasi samyak pranihite amale apashyat purusham purnam mayam cha tat apashrayam. <clears throat> that maya is tat apashrayam, is in the shelter of Tat. Tat refers to Krishna, uh, Bhagavan. Mm. So there, Maya is in the shelter of Bhagavan. Here, chapter 29, te uh, canto 10, verse number 1, something else is going on. The Lord is taking shelter of Maya. Now, you may say, oh, but that's yoga maya. Yes, it's yoga maya. Uh, but it turns out it's not so simple. It's not that yoga maya is only, that the term yoga maya is only used in the Bhagavatam in such a way. Yoga maya may also sometimes be used when we're uh, understanding, oh, isn't that... Isn't that Mahamaya? That's all discussed in detail by uh, Gopal Hari. I forgot to mention his name. Gopal Hari Prabhu is the author of this book, Maya in the Bhagavata Purana. Um, he explains all these points. So anyway, uh, it's an interesting kind of opposition and a kind of interesting symmetry as well. Right, that's, I think, all I wanted to say about verse number one. Um, okay. Now. Now, briefly, I guess, because I wanted to do this yesterday, and then we got cut off, so I should be quick. Um, I thought we should also look at verses 8 through 12. Uh, 8 through 12 or 8 through 11. I have some long commentary here. No, 8, eight through 11. 
Um, yes. Maharas, which chapter? Uh, this is chapter 29 still. Yeah. And... Uh, So what has happened? Um, the, the gopis are hearing the flute. They're dropping everything. They're leaving home and they're going to see Krishna. Well, are they all going to see Krishna? No, some of them are obstructed. So verse number eight says, Ta varyamanaha pativihi pitribir bratri bandubi. Govinda Paritatmano na nyavartanta mohitaha. Their husbands, fathers, brothers, and other relatives tried to stop them. But Krishna had already stolen their hearts. Enchanted by the sound of his flute, they refused to turn back. Now we have um, some um, discussion. I've focused for this on Srila Sanatana Goswami's uh, Brihat Vaishnava Toshani, some points. Um, but before that, we may wonder this is my. Maybe this is a purva paksha. <laughs> but if we remember from the final chapter of the Rasalila, chapter 33, verse 37 states, quote, the cowherd men, bewildered by Krishna's illusory potency, thought their wives had remained home at their sides. Thus, they did not harbor any jealous feelings against him. That's toward the end of uh, chapter 33, which means toward the end of the Rasalila five chapters. That seems to say something quite different from what we're reading here early in chapter 29 their husbands, fathers, brothers, and other relatives tried to stop them. But Krishna had already stolen their hearts, enchanted by the sound of his flute. They refused to turn back. Now, I haven't done um, enough of a thorough study about this, so I have to confess, I don't have an explanation of this from the Acharyas. Uh, maybe we can come up with an explanation. But what we have, I'll just mention a couple of things from Sanatana Goswami. Mm. He raises the question, why were the husbands and fathers and brothers and relatives unable to stop the gopis? He says the reason is because they had lost all discrimination regarding dharma, etc. Because they were under the control of Govinda, the lord of the senses. Uh, so, 
So they were completely under the control of Govinda. Uh, and it says, Govinda Aparita Atmana. Who can tell me um, where in the Bhagavad Gita we have this word Aparita? Okay, that's one. Yes, <laughs> that's the one I was thinking of. But yes, Bhogaishwarya Prasaktanam Taya Aparita Chetasam. The Chetas is Aparita, it is stolen away. Or Mayaya Aparita Jnana. Um, persons whose jnana hmm, is aparita, is stolen away, is removed, uh, taken away by maya. Maya ya aparita jnana. So here it's govinda aparita atmana. <laughs> Again, this kind of reversal. Instead of stolen by maya, they've been stolen the, their selves, atmana, their very selves has been stolen by Govinda. It's been removed, taken away. And um, Sanatan Goswami says, those who were scant in materials were robbed by he who was greatest in ownership. So there's another irony and uh, the gopis you know they're they're simple cowherd girls they don't it's not like they're big uh, capitalist business people with lots of own ownership of things so they don't have very much um, the lord is the lord of all and so and he is um He's the Lord of everything. He is the owner of everything. Aishvaryasya Samagrasya. And what is he doing? Although he's owning everything, he is stealing. He's been he's robbing the, the gopis. Um, and this is going to be discussed also. I don't think we'll have time to get into it, but in their discussion. Um, with Krishna, when Krishna tries to turn away the gopis or seems to want to turn them away, turn them back, in their arguing with Krishna, making their argument why they should stay, uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that um, they are, um, they're saying to Krishna that you have stolen everything from us, and specifically you've stolen our hearts. So we have come to get our heart back. You've taken our hearts. Now we've come. We need to get our heart back. Please give us our heart back. <laughs> so uh, furthermore, Sanatana Goswami says they were ruled, they, the gopis, were ruled internally. Their minds had been stolen by their internal Lord. 
And he gives the example, a boat swept away by the current cannot be brought back to the shore by those who are in the boat. If they don't have a, a means of, you know, rowing the boat, if they don't have any oars or anything, uh, they're not going to be able to bring the boat back. And then he speaks of this word nyavartanta. And he says this is a pun um, on the word nivritta. And it has the sense they were thus without life, without purpose in living. Uh, so, Nyavartanta, literally, they did not turn back. So, the boat couldn't get back. There was no way the boat could go back. The boat of themselves was drawn to Krishna. They couldn't get back. But he's saying um, this means, Nivritta, that they had no life. They They. They had no will, practically. Um, Another point he makes is uh, that the order in which are listed those who obstruct or try to obstruct the gopis is significant. It's not arbitrary. So it's tavaryamanaha patibhi. So it's patibhi, pitribhi, bratribhandubhi. First the husband, then the father, then the brothers. Uh, what's the significance? The significance is that it's first the husband who is most immediately responsible to care for the wife. Uh, After the husband, it's the father. After the father, it's the brothers. And then other family members. So they're all trying to protect uh, the gopis, one, one after another. And uh, then, it's interesting, Sanatana Goswami quotes from Yajnavalkya Smriti that women should never be independent. Uh, You know, this is kind of standard uh, Dharma Shastra language. And he is invoking this, but it's not like Sanatana Goswami is trying to say that the gopis are terrible and they're condemned and they're bad uh, because they're not following Dharma Shastra. But he's saying why the, the men of the household were justified in trying to stop them. From their perspective, it was proper what they were doing. They were being dharmic. They weren't being demoniac, they were being dharmic. Hmm. 
Okay. Um, well, before I go on, let me see if anyone wants to add something or comment or raise a question about anything we've talked about so far. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Yes. Maharaj, uh, you mentioned this uh, text 8 and in contrast to this, you mentioned uh, text 37 of chapter 33. Yes. So Maharaj, uh, what appears to me uh, resolves this uh, contradiction in mm. by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, mm. a commentary to the same uh, verse, text 8. He says in the commentary towards the end, uh, how could husband tolerate letting their wives go elsewhere in a weakened state, fearing danger to, to their bodies? That is true, and therefore Yog Maya allowed this to happen. She did this by producing replica bodies of the gopis who returned their husband's houses while the original gopis left for the forest. Ah. Mm. <laughs> Does that uh, resolve, Maharaj? <clears throat> Possibly, possibly, um, yeah, yeah. So as far as the cowherd men are concerned, what they're seeing is that uh, their wives are hearkening to them. They're they're listening to them, in effect, right? And so they're saying, "Oh, okay, I guess I shouldn't go to the forest," and then they just come back. Or they, yeah. or they stay if they didn't leave. Yeah. Yeah, so we have the we have the Acharya solution is that uh, the gopis expand themselves and become the real gopis are with Krishna and the apparent gopis are with the husbands. Which, of course, may remind us of, uh, of Ram Lila, where not in the Valmiki Ramayana, at least not explicitly, but in other texts, I think it's mentioned in Kurma Purana, Chaitanya Charitamrita refers to it, that it's Maya Sita who was with Ravana. Um, which is um, interesting in many ways, but in a particular way, which um, Amarendra Prabhu in America explains nicely, is that it's the principle of reciprocation. Um, the Lord reciprocates uh, perfectly as we approach. And that's, of course, going to be a major topic to verse 15 when, when we get to it. Um, so when Ravana goes to abduct, we often say kidnap, but I think it's more of an abduction uh, of, of Sita, because he is approaching deceptively, he's approaching as a sadhu, as a renunciant. He is disguised, he's disguised himself. Therefore, the Lord, in this case, his internal energy, 
in the form of sita, reciprocates by also being deceptive, by um, responding to him in, in, as the false sita. Um, yeah, and so, so there's a, a nice symmetry there. So with the gopis, yes, uh, the the husbands are dealing with uh, Krishna's internal energy as if they are external, his external energy, and therefore they become, so to say, external energy. They become... Uh, false gopis so that the real gopis can go and be with Krishna. Yeah, I, I would say that that solves the problem. Thank you. Okay, um, let's see now. What do we want to do? I think we could go on to verse... There's a... Verse 9, there's a quite long purport uh, which discusses about the different categories of gopis. Maybe we can at least start with this. Uh, yeah, let's do just some reading. I'll read the verse and the first paragraph, and then someone can go from there. This is verse 9. Antar griha gata kaschit gopyo alabda vinirgamaha krishnang tat bhavana yukta dadyur milita lochanaha. Some of the gopis, however, could not manage to get out of their houses, and instead they remained home with eyes closed, meditating upon him in pure love. Mm. They are referred to as milita lochanaha. Again, this is bahuvrihi, those whose eyes were closed. Mm. Uh, I'll just read this short first paragraph. Throughout the 10th canto, Srila Vishwanachagavari Thakur gives elaborate poetic commentaries on Lord Krishna's pastimes. It is not always possible to include these extensive descriptions, but we will quote in its entirety his comments on this verse. It is our sincere recommendation to the learned Vaishnava community that a qualified devotee of the Lord present the entire commentary of Srila Vishwanachagavati Thakur on the 10th canto as a separate book which will undoubtedly be appreciated by devotees and non-devotees alike. Uh, the Acharya's comments on this verse are as follows. Of course, this proposal of com translating completely has been done. Uh, Vishwanath, sorry, uh, His Holiness Banu Swami has made his translation. Uh, there's another one in process, a uh, couple of devotees who were uh, students of 
the late Gopi Paranadana Prabhu have been working on a multi-volume translation of commentaries on the entire 10th canto uh, called A Symphony of Commentary, I believe it's called. Um, and my guess is that 10th canto, it's just the 10th canto, and um, I think it's going to come to something like 30 volumes uh, with their translations of commentaries. So, who has time for all of this? Anyway, who wants to read um, the next two or three paragraphs? Can I read Maharaj? Okay. In this context, we will make our analysis according to the method described in Sri Goswami's Ujjwal Nilamani. There are two categories of gopis, the eternally perfect, the nitya siddhas, and those who have become perfect by practicing bhakti yoga, the sadhan siddhas. The sadhan siddhas are of two categories, those who belong to the special groups and those who do not. And there are also two classes of the gopis belonging to special groups, namely the sutichari's who come from the group of the personified Vedas and the Rishicharis who come from the group of sages who saw Lord Ramchandra in the Dandakaranya forest. The same fourfold categorization of the gopis is given in the Padma Purana. Gopestu Sruta Yogyaya Rishija Gopakarnaka Deva Kanyascha Rajendra Na Manusya Kathanchana It is understood some of the gopis are personified Vedic literatures, while others are reborn sages, daughters of cowherds, or demigod maidens. But by no means, my dear king, are any of them ordinary humans. Here we are informed that although the gopis appeared to be human cowherd girls, they actually were not. Thus the contention that they are mortals is refuted. The daughters of cowherds, referred to here as Gop Kanyas, must be eternally perfect, since we never hear of them having executed any sadhana. Their apparent sadhana of worshipping goddess Katyani in the role of gopis merely manifests their manner of playing like human beings. And the Bhagavatam narrates the account of this worship only to show how they had fully taken on the role of cowherd girls. That the Gopanya gopis are actually Nitya Siddhas, eternally perfect devotees of the Lord, established by a statement in Brahma Samhita 5.37. Ananda Chenmayaras Pratibhavitabhi, which proves that they are the Lord's spiritual pleasure potency. Similarly, we have the words of the Gautami Tantra, Ladriya Mahasaktihi. Further corroboration of that eternal perfection is that these gopis being co-eternal with Lord Krishna, their lover, are mentioned along with him in the 18th level mantra, the 10th level mantra and the others. And also that the worship of these mantras and also the srutis that present them have been in existence since beginningless time. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we're getting categories 
and subcategories and sub-subcategories of gopis. <laughs> uh, the main two categories are the nitya siddha and sadhana siddha. Uh, and then we have uh, a category, sub two divisions of sadhana siddha, namely extraordinary and ordinary. And then within the extraordinary group or the special group, we have uh, two categories, the Shruti-charis and the Rishi-charis. Um, and then we have another term used, uh, Gopakanya. And that's coming from the Padma Purana. And the point that Vishwanath Chakavarti Thakur is making is that these Gopakanyas, daughters of Gopas, referred to here uh, are Nitya Siddha. That's my understanding. Did I get this right? Yes, Maharaj. According to the uh, understanding, it is true. <laughs> okay. All right. And now it's going to, I think, uh, I think the plot thickens now. Who wants to read the next? Next couple of paragraphs. Yes, Srinivas Gopal. Maharaj, from that shloka, Kandarpa Koti Kamani? No, it's, it's um, starts the Deva Kanyas, daughters of the demigods. Okay. The Deva Kanyas, daughters of the demigods, who are mentioned in the verse beginning Sambhavas. Sambhavastva Amara Striya are explained in Sri Ujjwala Nilamani as partial expansions of the gopis who are eternally perfect. That the Srutichari gopis, the personified Vedas, are Sadhana Siddha is understood from the following words of their quoted in Brihad Vamana Purana. Kandarpa Koti Lavanye Twai Drishte Manas Manam Sina Kamini Bhavam Asadhya Smara Shuddhanya Samsaya Yata Twal Loka Vasinya Kamatatvena Gopika Bajanti Ramanam Matva Chikir Sajaninastata since we have seen your face, which possesses the beauty of millions of cupids, our minds have become lusty after you, like those of young girls, and we have forgotten all other allurements. We have developed the desire to act toward you, as do the gopis who dwell on Transcendent, your transcendental planet, and who manifest the nature of Cupid by worshipping you with the idea that you are their paramar. So, the Rishi so, so, what's the what's the inspiration for the Rishi? Uh, sorry, for the Shuti Charis. What's the initial inspiration that they want to follow the uh, Nitya Siddha Gopis? Mm. Shastras, 
now beauty beauty of krishna yes attraction to beauty of krishna since we have seen your face which oh. possesses the beauty of millions of cupids so they've seen they've seen krishna's face and now they that's it for them they're sold on krishna <laughs> okay uh yes please continue the rishi chari gopis the rishi chari gopis are also sadhana siddha as stated in ujjwala nilamani gopala pakasha purvam aprapta bhishta siddhaya previously they were all maharishis living in the dandakaranya forest dandaka forest we find evidence for this in the padma purana uttarakhanda drishtvaramam harim tantra bhuktum aichyan suvigraham te sarvastritvam apanna sambhut samudbhutascha gokule harim sampraapya kamena tato mukta bhavarnavat this this verse says that upon seeing lord ramachandra the sages in the dandaka forest desired to enjoy lord hari krishna in other words the sight of lord rama's beauty reminded them of lord hari gopala their personal object of worship and they then wanted to enjoy with him but out of embarrassment they did not act on that desire whereupon lord sri ram who is like a desire tree gave his mercy to them even though they had not voiced their their request thus their desire was fulfilled as stated by the words beginning te sarva by means of their lusty attraction they became freed from the ocean of material existence the cycle of birth and death and coincidentally they got the association of lord hari in conjugal love mm. in the present verse let's okay let's uh pause for a minute so it seems that also the rishi charis have been inspired uh by the appearance of the lord they see the beauty of the lord and um and because he's so attractive they want to become well it's interesting you know because uh these rishis are they're male isn't it but they're seeing that krishna is so attractive they want to be attracted to him as female they're willing to they're eager to become excuse me female to become gopis um you know in in most how to say in the patriarchal society that uh india tends to be <laughs> uh if i don't get in trouble for saying that um you know everyone prefers uh parents prefer to have a son to having a daughter and so on 
um, there's even a prayer in the seventh canto. You must have, you must remember. Sorry, it's in the fifth canto. Prahlad is pray, praying to Nursingadev, and his prayer is, "May I not be born as a woman." Um, because it's considered to be a disadvantage for spiritual life. On the other side, Prabhupada would uh, sometimes say, actually, the women have an advantage because they have natural soft heart and inclination to express devotion. Anyway, it's interesting that the Rishicharis, they were, they were men, they were Rishis, seeing the beauty of the Lord inspires them, we want to become gopis. Ananta Gaur Sundar, you want to say something? Uh, Maras, I couldn't understand how they became allured by the beauty of Krishna. Is it by reading the scriptures they saw the description of Krishna? Or is it this got attracted to some deity form? Because we understand that Lord Ram, they came during Lord Ram's period. That means at least they were not in... Uh, not face-to-face with Krishna? Um, well, the Rishicharis, my understanding is that they directly met Lord Ramachandra and they were charmed by his beauty. They understood, oh, he he has vowed to have only one, one wife. And, and Ramachandra understands their desire so he says, well, we'll work out something for you. <laughs> because in my next appearance, I will have so many wives and so many uh, consorts. But the Shuticharis, I mean, just taking this quote from the Briyad Vamana Purana, Kandarpakoti lavanye tvayi drishte, Mana angsi naha. So drishte is seeing, having seen her. It seems they saw Krishna, but there's no detail here of the context. Um, yeah, we'd have to see more of what it says in the Brihadvamana Purana, I think is we only have this extract. That's all I can say. Uh, Jalangi Devi, you want to comment? Hare Krishna Maharaj, I have a question. Oh. My question is, I don't understand why Shuti Charis and Rishi Charis, they're considered as sadhana sitas. Because as you mentioned, um, actually Krishna's uh, pastime is like a circle. It's going on repeatedly. So when they're in Krishna's pastime, they are gopis. But in uh, Ramchandra's pastimes, because Lord Ramchandra is an ideal king, he can only marry with one lady. That's why they became rishis, sages. And then next next circle, and then they again become gopis. Oh. So, and I don't understand why they consider that sadhana sitas also is a shruti charis. They should be existing eternally, the scriptures. Thank you for clearing my doubt. Oh, I don't know if I can clear your doubt. <laughs> um, my understanding is uh, this would be a one-time 
one-time event that they are, okay, there's the, I mean, very quickly it goes into a whole nother subject, but um, just taking it at face value, what's being said is that they are sadhana, uh, sadhana siddha. So they're starting out, so to say, in a, in a condition of not being perfected, and so they are doing sadhana. And then uh, they, by the Lord's grace and their own sadhana, they become perfected, and then they remain perfected. Uh, and that's perpetual, but then one may also say they act the part of being sadhana siddha. Uh, we got. We have a lot of acting of parts in Krishna Lila, you know. Arjuna is also acting a part. Parikshit Maharaj is acting a part uh, in a sense, and so on. So, but there's another way of putting it: is there's a kind of um, inbuilt tension in this whole notion of being eternally perfect versus uh, practicing to become perfect versus once you're once you're e- eternal once you're perfect then you are eternally perfect uh, there was no beginning to your not being perfect um, it very quickly becomes more than a mind which is entrenched in sequential thinking can really uh, compute, really digest. Someone is already always liberated and at the same time aspiring for liberation. Srinivas, is that okay, Jalangidi? Yes, very clear now. Thank you, Maharaj. <laughs> very clear at being unclear. Uh, okay, Srinivas Gopal. Thank you, Maharaj. Maharaj, this, this is to be uh, like taking it as a boon or curse. Last, last uh, Treta Yuga, hmm. not in this Yuga, this Divya Yuga, that time they desired the Rishis. Hmm. You have to wait this many yugas to associate with the Lord as a gopi. So this many years they have to suffer. Better than that, that time only they would have liberated, got liberated. <laughs> so one should not be desiring like uh, as a uh, like gopi, gopi bhav and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is insisting on that. One should be like that. And if we desire like that, then one more uh, Brahma's day we have to wait? Well, if you put it that way, it sounds pretty horrible, isn't it? But then, what is the name of the devotee who um, was dancing before? When, was, Vasudev Datta. Was it Vasudev Datta? Who, no, no, no. No, no. no. Mukunda Datta was dancing because he heard that the Lord would allow him to 
come into his presence after, what was it, one million lives? After one million lifetimes, or one million years, whatever. And when he heard, oh, it's only another million years, and then I will be with the Lord. And he was joyful. <laughs> so he was anticipating. And when the Lord heard that, uh, he said, I'll let him come in <laughs> right now. <laughs> so the Lord collapsed a million years into a moment just by seeing the fact that the devotee was uh, fully prepared to wait that long because it was worth he understood it's worth waiting. And when he understood that, it's worth waiting. The Lord sees that, said, okay, you can come now. Yeah, time factor, very mysterious. I think we should uh, leave you shaking your head, Srinivas Gopal Brahmu, and, uh, <laughs> and take a break. Uh, for a few minutes, and then come back, Bhimala Prasad. We'll take your point after. Okay? Okay. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. So, let us continue. <clears throat> I think um, that I'll leave the rest of this purport for you to read individually. It goes on with some more interesting points about uh, the identity of the gopis. Um, but I kind of want to move on. Uh, oh, yes, Bhimala Prasad Prabhu, you had a point. Uh, it was about the basic same topic which you raised regarding this sadhan siddha thing. Hmm. And my, my limited experience, uh, I've encountered quite a many times, it, like, it might not be very, very vocal, but I find there is, there is, a, there is an undercurrent in certain sections in ISKCON regarding the Sadhan Siddha, it's there, and I find there's a prejudice, I feel, if I may say, against the Sadhan Siddhas, as if Sadhan Siddhas are, I mean, uh, terming somebody or identifying somebody as being a Sadhan Siddha is uh, considered kind of like a demotion or like not, not, not looked up very in high esteem. Hmm. So... Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Maharaj? No, it's a good point because uh, the the key word in the compound is siddha. <laughs> if you're a siddha, you're a siddha. Whether you, however you, however it is that you're there, and um, we understand in the in Goloka in Brindavan in Vaikuntha, everywhere. No one is getting ranked. No one is looking down on a sadhana siddha bhakta. Oh, you're just a sadhana siddha bhakta. You got here 
you know, by your by some efforts and some mercy. But we've always been here. <laughs> no, that's that. Actually, if one is thinking like that, that would be grounds for losing one's position in the spiritual world, isn't it? First class and second class citizens. Yeah, first and second class citizens. Um, so, yeah, we have to be careful. That can manifest in so many ways, of course. We have that tendency, isn't it, as human beings? We're ranking because we want to be somehow at least a little better somehow than the other people around us. Um, we want to just, you know, we have to be recognized one way or another as special. Uh, which is not a problem in the spiritual world because everyone is special, right? Uh, in the spiritual world, everyone has their unique relation with Krishna, which is uniquely special. Uh, and therefore, everyone is completely fulfilled in their um, identity. Yeah, so that's a good point. Anyone else have any thoughts from anything we've talked about so far? Okay, I think we should move on to verse number 15. And... Um, Okay, the verse, Kamang Krodham Bayam Sneham Aikyam Sohridam Evacha Nityam Harao Viradato Yanti Tanmayatam Ite. Persons who constantly direct their lust, anger, fear, protective affection, feeling of impersonal oneness, or friendship toward Lord Hari are sure to become absorbed in thought of him. Hmm. Now, before we get into the discussion of it, what is prompting this statement? Well, we go back to verse number 12, and Parikshit Maharaj expresses a doubt. O sage, the gopis knew Krishna only as their lover, not as the Supreme Absolute Truth. So how could these girls, their minds caught up in the waves of the modes of nature, free themselves from material attachment? That's the question. Shukadev Goswami, Sri Shuka Uvacha, is responding to this, initially by saying, this point was explained to you previously, since even Shishupala, who hated Krishna, achieved perfection. Then, what to speak of the Lord's dear devotees? That, by the way, is another case of Kaimutya Nyaya. 
if even Shishupal, who hated Krishna, achieved perfection, what to speak of? Kim Uta, Kaimutya, uh, what to speak of the Lord's dear devotees? Um, I was thinking about this initial response of Shukadev to Maharaj Parikshit when he says, this point was explained to you previously, uktam purastat etate. I couldn't help in my conditioning to wonder if Shukadev Goswami was a little bit annoyed with Maharaj Parikshit at this time. <laughs> we already discussed this. And you're asking me again. But I don't think we should think that um, because it's Shukadev Goswami. And uh, Shukadev Goswami is the all-merciful Acharya giving, us, giving the Bhagavatam. Um, what is it? Vyatanutaya Kripaya. Uh, yes, Anudhanaya Yukta. Oh. Say again. Yes, Bhavam Akul Sruti Sadam Ekam Adhatma Dibam Tirsam Tom Andam Sansari Nam Karuna Prangoyam Tambyasunu Upyam Guru Munina. Okay, that's another verse, but yes. So we know he is glorious in all respects. And he just wants to share uh, and deepen the right understanding. So he's responding to that. And then he says in verse 14, O King, the Supreme Lord is inexhaustible and immeasurable, and he is untouched by the material modes because he is their controller. His personal appearance in this world is meant for bestowing the highest benefit on humanity. Now, with this, he's putting the focus not on the gopis, but on the Lord. Uh, the Lord um, is untouched by the modes of nature. He's completely pure. And he has a purpose coming to this world. What is that purpose? It's to give the highest benefit uh, to, um, here it's translated, humanity. Rinam, yes, Rinam Nishreya Sartaya, for the purpose of Nishreya, huh? um, the highest benefit for humanity, Artaya, Rinam. Okay, mm. so uh, that's the beginning of his response, and now he's saying in verse 15, persons who constantly direct their lust. So now he's turning attention to persons in this world. Persons who constantly direct their lust, anger, fear, protective affection, feeling of impersonal oneness, or friendship toward the Lord, toward Lord Hari, are sure to become absorbed in thought of him. So the implication is, why is that? that they become absorbed because the Lord is pure. So it's the purity of the Lord, which when met by a constant effort uh, at 
engaging with him, no matter what the motivation is. Now, it's going to be a bit more complicated than that. Again, here, I think I'll leave you to read this commentary, uh, this purport. And I want to say also, though, I'm wondering, I didn't have time to really dig for this, but because uh, we're getting one, two, three, four, yeah, quotes from Madhvacharya, I didn't find this in Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. I did not find this in Sanatanga Goswami. I didn't find it. Um, I also didn't find this quote in uh, what's his name, the uh, the follower of Madhvacharya. So this makes me suspect suspect that it might be from the Bhagavat Tatparya near Naya of Madhvacharya, um, but it's just a wild guess. I don't know. But I want to look at Sanatana Goswami's commentary, and for that I'm going to share the screen again. Whoa, I don't want to do that. I almost pushed the wrong button. Share. Yes, okay. Now this might be too small for you. So, can you see this all right? Yes, Maharaj. Okay. Hmm. Now, one thing I like about uh, Sanatana Goswami, his commentary is, he seems to take every opportunity to say, well, it could mean this, or it could mean that, or it could mean the third thing. <laughs> he finds many possibilities in, uh, within a verse or sometimes just one word or one phrase. So he says, if people somehow direct themselves, even, even with lust, eva, to the Lord, who attracts all hearts, or who removes all faults, hare, they attain realization of him. Or, persons like the sages of Dandikaranya, by Kama, and the Keshi and Kamsa, by hatred, attain the Lord. Te, your, can also modify harau, harau. They direct themselves in hatred to your Lord. Another version has viradate. Um, that's as opposed to viradato, viradataha, viradate. Um, and this is something, I don't know if you've discussed this already, maybe we talked about it last time. There are variant readings of the Bhagavatam. Um, and um, there is, there's been one attempt at making a critical edition, taking several different manuscripts and noting all the differences. 
and that's been published also from Amnabad. Um, and what we found, myself and Radhika Raman Prabhu, in our translation work, uh, because we checked uh, this critical edition, we found that the differences are so insignificant that it's really nothing to be bothered about one way or another. They're all very insignificant. Now, you may wonder, why are there differences at all? Um, there are several reasons. One is that someone copying a manuscript is not paying full attention, and so they make some mistake. Sometimes someone will copy a manuscript and maybe they see a mistake or they think it's a mistake and they will correct it or think they're correcting it. Um, that's another reason. There can be various, but um, one of the special features of the Bhagavatam is that the variations in the manuscripts are so extremely small. And one reason for this is because we have the commentaries. So this is another function, a kind of indirect function of commentaries, is that they sort of control uh, the text. Uh, they, they hold the text to what it is. If you have a commentary and it's quoting um, this, the verse and giving details about the meanings and so on, it's very difficult for someone later to come along and change it because someone will say, wait, 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 that's not in Sridhar Swami's Bhagavatam. Uh, so that becomes, uh, especially it's been credited to Sridhar Swami because he commented the entire Bhagavatam uh, that uh, it's what would be called a very stable text. And that's in contrast to practically all the other Puranas, which are extremely fluid. The Mahabharata, the Ramayana, these are very fluid. There are so many different versions of them. Um, there's a critical, so-called critical edition of the Mahabharata done by the Bandarkar Oriental Institute in Pune. Took something like 30 years to produce. Uh, it's a multi-volume text, uh, all only Sanskrit. There's a 10-volume translation in English uh, of the critical edition of the Mahabharata, done by Bibek Debroy, uh, which is available. It's published by Penguin. It's in paperback, 10 volumes of paperback, and it's relatively inexpensive. And my sense is it's quite nicely done. I have it, and... Uh, it's, I would say, very, very nicely done. Otherwise, devotees use Ganguli, uh, but Ganguli is not from the critical edition. It's, it's from, uh, from something else. 
in any case. Uh, so he's seeing this difference, viradate. He means certainly they become fixed in the Lord, tanmayatam, or they attain sarupya. Hmm. By practicing nityam, they attain absorption in the Lord. If they only concentrate on the Lord occasionally, by that lack of absorption, they will not quickly attain the Lord. There are two forms of sarupya, one for the devotee and the other for the non-devotee. For the devotee, sarupya gives happiness. And for the non-devotee, it gives destruction of suffering only. The devotee attains Vaikuntha, and the non-devotee attains Siddhaloka, merging in Brahman. Or, <laughs> the Lord appears in order to benefit humanity. So here he's, he's coming back to uh, to the verse 14, the first line, Rinam Nishreya Sartaya, or the Lord appears in order to benefit humanity. This verse explains how he does this. So 15 explains 14. Those who direct lust, etc., to the Lord attain absorption in him. One version has va with soridam. Um, okay, aikyam soridam eva va instead of eva cha. Minor difference. As with friendship, so by hatred, etc., one can attain absorption in the Lord. And then he quotes the verse uh, from Chapter 1 of 7th Canto, Kamatveshat payatsnehat yata bhaktyeshvare manaha avesha tat agang hitva bahavas tat gatingataha. Just as by vaidhi bhakti, one can attain one's spiritual goals, many persons have attained suitable forms after absorbing their minds in the Lord out of lust, hatred, fear, and family relationships filled with affection, and after giving up absorption in enmity of the Lord, in the case of hatred and fear. Hmm. So uh, this is translated Vaidhi Bhakti, uh, Bhaktiya, is Vaidhi Bhakti. So Yata Bhaktiya, as by Bhakti, or as by Vaidhi Bhakti, following rules, so one can attain perfection by the mind being absorbed in the lust, in absorbed in the Lord out of lust, etc. And then Avesha, um, Avesha is absorbed. Um, it can also mean possessed, as in being possessed by a ghost. 
So being sort of over overtaken, taken over by some strong emotion. Um, Sanatan Goswami doesn't give up with his alternatives. He says, by external vision, the gopis could be said to have kama with Krishna as an illicit lover, or <laughs> all are grouped together simply to express absorption in the Lord, but there is a great difference in the result for the different persons. This is described in the Bhagavatamrita and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. The great devotees also clearly describe the differences. This will be explained later in the appropriate place. So this last paragraph seems to be saying that we can sort of turn the emphasis around. The first emphasis is saying, look, everybody can attain perfection of the Lord. doesn't matter what kind of emotion they may have uh, with re in relation to the Lord. Here, that's being turned around and saying, yes, everyone is absorbed in the Lord. That's kind of the, the core point. But then just see how different uh, the results are of their different relationships with the Lord. And then he's saying that's, that's what's magnified, that's what's being elaborated. Uh, the, whole, the whole topic of rasa, uh, rasa vichar, you could say is about highlighting these finer differences amongst the moods of the different devotees and the Lord's reciprocating with that. Okay, so... Um, so this, I, I find this to be a major, what I, I would assume, one of the reasons this verse has been selected for memorization is because this is a major theme of the entire Bhagavatam. Uh, and, and it comes up more than once. It's come up already in the seventh canto. It's going to come up again, I believe, in whatever, chapter 74 or something of this tenth canto uh, with respect to Shishupal. And so it's highlighting, it's highlighting, I would say, broadly speaking, it's highlighting the accessibility of the Lord. The Lord is available to everyone. Um, the Lord is not sectarian. Yeyatamang prapadyante tangstadaiva vajamyam. The Lord reciprocates. Um, he reciprocates with everyone. And these examples uh, are just that, examples. Kamat, Veshat, Bayat, Snehat. But there's infinite variations, we might want to say, uh, among 
the sorts of emotion with which one approaches the Lord. Okay. Mm. Stop. Share. Okay, that's all maybe rather straightforward. Or, or does anyone have a comment or a question about that? Otherwise, I would like to move to, well, yeah, I think we should at least look briefly. Oh, Anantagorsundarji. Maras, uh, I always always had a question about the absorption in impersonal oneness. Mm. Because when they say that uh, we are not matter, still there is an object which we can meditate meditate on. And even if there is some conception, we can meditate on. But then to meditate on something which has no conception and no form, either mm. gross or subtle. So how that absorption itself comes is like something which I can't conceive. Um, th that's good that you can't conceive. <laughs> Vaishnavas are not really interested to conceive how that works. <laughs> um, we don't want to be absorbed in, uh, in Nirvishesha Brahman. Uh, how that works? Well, according to the Bhagavatam, is it Lord Brahma who says, Aruhya Krishna Parampadam Tata Patantyadha? Uh, someone may uh, reach this Nirvishesha Brahman where there's no object for meditation, but indeed, how long can you stay there? And uh, Srila Jiva Goswami speaks about this also. There needs to be an object for there to be, where there's consciousness, there is consciousness of. And so that, that state of, you know, the, the Advaita Vadis are eager to talk about the collapsing of the, the knower the known and the process of knowing. It's all collapsed into one. And we are not so eager for that. However, that would be possible. Jiva Goswami says, actually, it's not possible. So my answer, how is that? Is It's good we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because if you would know if there is such a thing to be known you might think oh let me try that out let me see if I can go there and then you might have to spend uh, some eons I don't <laughs> absorbed <laughs> absorbed until you realized oh that was a big waste of time <laughs> 
what was I doing that for? You wake up. <laughs> okay. So let's, Maharaj, yes. This continuation to the verse which you quoted, Arukrachena Parampadatata. Mm. So there were some devotees, certain teachers also, I don't want to name them now, but they were saying this is true for those who imagine themselves to be liberated. It's not true for the people who are uh, actually merged in the Brahman. Who are really liberated. Who are uh, really liberated. So okay. is there something like that? Well, they may know. Um, I can't tell you anything more about that until I experience it. <laughs> and I'm not sure I want to experience it. <laughs> no, we understand there are Brahmavadi. There's Brahmavadi, there's Mayavadi. But the Brahmavadi is recognizing there is Brahman uh, and there is. Uh, some some sort of realization of Brahman. Um, which is without realization of Paramatma and Bhagavan. Yeah, because um, Vedanti Tattvavidas. Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shabdhyate. There is a recognition that there is such realization. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a term for it. And also, also in the in the Gita, beginning of chapter twelve, when Krishna is, um, sorry, when Arjuna is asking which is better, uh, this impersonal path or the bhakti path krishna says bhakti is better because it's easier but he doesn't eliminate or he doesn't rule out the possibility of attaining liberation perfection by the process of, of jnana and the the advaita vadins the non-dualists whether they're mayavadi or not uh, they will sort of jump on that verse and say, yes, it's easier to do bhakti, so go ahead and practice bhakti, and that will bring you to Brahman. And then you can forget about your, you don't need the bhakti anymore. So they see, they see bhakti as being merely instrumental. It's a ladder to climb up to, and then you can throw the ladder away or it's the, the raft you can throw away, and so on. Um, that's, that's not our process. Okay? Uh, can I just, a uh, little bit more about this, Bimukta Manina, when the word is there? Yeah. So these devotees elaborating say that those who imagine themselves to liberate it, they fall down. Right. But those who already attained, yeah, they don't follow. Yeah, well, that one could take it in two ways. Uh, one could take it like that and say they are vimukta manina um, be because their mentality, their thinking, that they are liberated. Um, but one could also take it that 
this platform of Brahman realization, it's not really mukti. And it's not really mukti because uh, it's not permanent. So you can float around for a while, but how long? Prabhupada says you can fly in the in an airplane for some time, but after a while you've got to land <laughs> or go to another planet or something. You can't just... So it could be taken both ways, as, as I understand. But I don't know. Uh, in this case, they may be referring to one of our acharyas making that point. But you see with Sanatana Goswami that he's saying it can mean like this, or it can mean like that, or it can mean like this. He's constantly doing that. Uh, so both can also be true, it would seem. Okay, our, our time is passing quickly. Just briefly, let's uh, look at verse number 19 of chapter 29. Uh, this is uh, Krishna speaking to the gopis who have come uh, to meet him, and he's saying as follows, Rajanyesha gorarupa gorasattva nishevita pratiyata rajagneha steyam strivi sumadyamaha. This night is quite frightening. And frightening creatures are lurking about. Return to Vraja, slender, wasted girls. This is not a proper place for women. Seems like this is a, a sort of standard way to describe describe an attractive woman. It's sumadhyama, uh, slender, wasted. <laughs> so uh, then we have this. We have in the BBT edition, we have a translation of one of <clears throat> Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's famous conversations that he, um, we may want to say, manifests for us or elaborates. So he says, the gopis thought, alas, alas, even after shattering our family responsibilities, our sobriety and our shame, and enjoying us day after day, and after now dragging us here by the sound of his flute, he's asking us why we have come. <laughs> As the gopis cast sidelong glances at one another, the Lord said, If you try to tell me that you have come to get night-blooming flowers to use in the worship of God, and that it is these flowers you are looking at, with your sidelong glances, I will have to reject your excuse as unacceptable, since neither the time, place, nor persons involved are appropriate. This is the Lord's meaning in the verse beginning, Rajani. He might have said, even though there is abundant moonlight, this time of night is very fearsome because Many snakes, scorpions, and other dangerous creatures, too small for you to see, are lying beneath the creeper's roots and twigs. Therefore, this time is unsuitable for gathering flowers. And not only the time, but also this place is unsuitable for you to gather flowers. 
because at night terrible creatures such as tigers are abroad here. Therefore, you should go back to Raja. So in this initial argument, this playful argument, uh, Krishna is, okay, he's, he's speaking about dangers, but he's doing so within the context of, uh, you can say, ritual discourse. So they may be saying, we are gathering night flowers uh, for doing puja tomorrow morning. In other words, we want to do some ritual. And to do the ritual, we have to come out at night and find get these flowers. And the Lord is saying, not, not good. Why not good? Because the time is not right and the place is not right. Nor the persons are right. <laughs> so these are typical considerations when talking about ritual. You want to get the right time, you want to get the right place, and you want to get the right persons to do the ritual. Uh, and then he goes on playfully, I would say, Vishwanath says, but the gopis may object. Let us just rest for a few minutes, and then we will go. Then the Lord might reply, women shouldn't remain in this kind of place. In other words, because of the time and place, it is wrong for persons like yourselves to stay here even for a moment. So he's pressing this point. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong place. So he's speaking in terms of dharma. He's, his whole point of get back home, it's all, it's all about dharma. It's your dharma is to be at home and your dharma is not to be where you are. Dharma sometimes has been explained as being... Um, um, well, no, impurity has been explained as being something out of place. If something is in the wrong place, that is a kind of definition of impurity. And dharma is about being within boundaries. And to cross the boundary whatever the boundary is, and it could be a boundary of time and place, uh, or person is uh, a dharma. Okay, anyway, it goes on like that. Uh, we've come to the end of our time, so we can end there today. Um, there's some more such discussion because the gopis are discussing for some time with Krishna. And it's playful discussion. So if you haven't read that, um, you're certainly encouraged to read uh, these play, this playful banter, which leads uh, finally to, we may say, Krishna being persuaded, all right, let us dance. I see your determination. So Krishna has made, Krishna makes his test. Uh, they pass the test. And now there will be the dance, but only for a short time. Okay. Hare Krishna. 
Thank you all very much. Again, I want to say, if you want to bring up uh, specific verses or particular uh, passages for tomorrow, specifically in chapter 30, we're actually a bit behind. Let's see how we do. Um, but chapter 30 could also be from chapter 31. And then we can discuss. Okay. Okay. Everybody happy? Sub T, okay? Yes, Maharaj. Yes, Maharaj. Thank okay. you, Maharaj. Jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Anantakoti Vaishnavinda ki jai. Gaur Premanande. Hari 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 Hari